Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, men and women, non-conformers and non-believers, gender X and gender equals, welcome to Eat the Storms, the poetry podcast. I am your host, Damien B. Donnelly, so let me start today's show with thanking last week's guests, Barbara Mercer, Kathy Carson, Phil Vernon and A. Or Salandi. So here we are already in springtime, so it's fitting that today's show features not only a plant scientist's, a few summer poems, but also two villanelles and songs about the sea. Today we have guests from America, Canada, England and two visits to Scotland. So what are we waiting for? I'm going to start today's show by reading you a poem from my Stickleback collection, which was just published last month by the Hedgehog Poetry Press. The Stickleback collection features five poems inspired by five paintings that I saw in five different galleries with five different boys in five different countries. And it looks at colour, connection and consideration. This poem is called Van Gogh Visions and it's based on his painting The Sunflowers. Sometimes I stopped by to sit and wonder how you didn't change while I clung to the edge of a seat to keep myself within the skin I was shedding. Like those petals hanging onto your brushstrokes, though they never met the finality of their fate. Octopus-like tentacles vaulting from vase, too heavy to be held upright, sagging as I did when I came in. When I came to that seat with the city rushing in after up those tourist-throtten steps, panting through the wooden doors, Shaking off the sweat and the spit of the dull streets within this space where time had stopped. Colour considered on canvas. Sharpened blends of rounded pigments popping on windswept, weather-worn, heavy heads. Petals already peeled back to their pips, as if missing things, like companions, connections, the right to be seen, an ear to be heard. Dutchman, drawing dying flowers in France, choking at the dinner table and failing at everything in life, even at life. But for the canvas and its ageing yellows burning into ochre, orange-coloured kisses and eager green stems holding hundreds of seeds, holding hope, resurrection, introspection. Bright mornings of soft butter caught in hayfields before the crows came to London too. Heavy strokes of paint radiating like halos to fill the hole left after all the lights went out, after all the feet continued up and over our bodies, lying in the fields. It's now time to introduce the guests and today's first guest I met this time last year for the very first time at the Doolin Writers Retreat over on the west coast of Ireland and he has since been on the show twice, reading first from his collection On Belonging, published by Recent Work Press, and then came back to join us on the recent Christmas episode. Thankfully today he's here sharing poems from his latest collection, Blue, published by Above Ground Press. Please welcome back to the show Irish-Australian living in America, Nathaniel O'Reilly. 
Hello, my name is Nathaniel O'Reilly. It's an honour and a privilege to be back on the Eat the Storms Poetry Podcast in 2021. Today I'm going to read three poems for you from my latest poetry chapbook, Blue, published by Above Ground Press in Ottawa. The first poem is a villanelle called Grey. My peers and I are turning grey, our youth exhausted and deceased, mortality exposed for display. Unable to resist our DNA, black, brown and blonde transformed, my peers and I are turning grey. We wake to new strands each day, evidence of age multiplied, mortality exposed for display. We wash and brush our hair in dismay, refuse to admit we're petrified, my peers and I are turning grey. Aesthetics rarely come into play when the grave facts are considered mortality exposed for display. We must accept the truth today. Youth cannot be recovered. My peers and I are turning grey. Mortality exposed for display. My second poem today is called Pure Adrenaline Sound. It's an escapist poem which I think captures some of what many of us are feeling during the pandemic, the desire to travel, to escape, to have freedom. The raw sound of rock and roll, the crack, rattle and roll of snares, the wail, roar and moan of singers, the simulated orgasm of guitar solos, the hypnotic pulse of bass, the rhythms of hi-hats and riffs, Foot stomp and blood pump and pure adrenaline sound makes me want to speed down desert highways with one arm hanging out the window, one hand beating on the wheel, the wind tearing through my hair, expressing the inexpressible. My final poem for today for the podcast, thanks again to Damien, is entitled Domestic composition. It's a quieter, homely kind of poem. Darkened room, ceiling fan spinning, glass of Chilean red half an arm's length away, desktop logically organized, neighbor's air conditioner droning beyond the window, door closed against interruptions, screen glow, clothes tumbling in a distant laundry room, Framed artworks and book covers, barely visible in comforting gloom. Cricket bat retiring in the corner. Galway barren, silent atop the bookcase, beside a motionless globe and bronze cast of the Browning's intertwined hands, clasped eternally above Stevie Smith, Heaney, Houseman, Muldoon, Elliot, Kavanagh and Kerouac. Thank you for listening. Our next guest on today's show is a primary teacher in southern Scotland, was once a teacher in Prague, and will have her debut poetry collection published by the Hedgehog Poetry Press in May this year, entitled Carbon. She joins us now to share some poems from that collection. And if you want to hear more about this collection and her writing process, then check out the At Home with the Hoglet series of interviews that I'm running on my blog as she was my guest this week. Please come take a stroll with Elizabeth Kelly. Hi, Damien. Thanks so much for inviting me onto your great podcast. I've so enjoyed listening to your poems and all the great poets you've had on here. I've chosen three poems for you today um, with more of a summer feel, which might be strange because it's snowing currently in Scotland. Don't know how it is in Ireland. Um, So maybe that's why I needed to feel a little bit of sunshine. The first one I've picked is one of the first poems I wrote in early 2020, which is when I began writing poetry. And I sent it to the Wexford International Poetry Competition and it got shortlisted. And the people there were so lovely and encouraging that I continued writing. And I'm so glad that I did because writing and poetry and meeting the wonderful poetry community of which you're one has been a really uplifting experience during 2020. 
So the first poem I'm going to read is Sister. Sister, we used to picnic in the rain. Do you remember? Up by the old tarn, hidden behind boulders on the spongy moor. Even then we liked the drama, the loneliness, the dreek, the softness. I can remember the smell, wet summer moss, dug under our nails, there even after our bath. I could hide under my covers later and smell our day. The second one is on a similar theme, um, looking back to my childhood and the agricultural community that was present at the time. And again, this year I've been reflecting really on how farming life has changed um, in Scotland and the north of England and how my children's experiences of of farming and farming life are, are quite different to what mine was. Haytime picnics. Sweat blankets the ground as skin and grass start to crisp. Heavy cut sea dust settles over eyelids and behind knees. We peel boiled eggs carefully, untwist salt coiled in tin foil, as splashes of lilt sticks to stubble. Together we jostle uncomfortably over Mr Kipling's apple pies, exotic in their silver cases. Too soon the men unwrap their limbs from the ground, head off back to the hay as we scatter crumbs like meadow grass. I collect the foil packets, flatten them out carefully into shiny discs that catch the sun. Place them later on the table by my bed, so when bruised clouds come, I can see the sun. And then the last poem I want to share with you today is really about reflecting on being in the moment. Again, done quite a lot of that in 2020. Um, and whether we should be looking forward or back and, and the anxiety that that causes. And it's all tied up with the fact that in midwinter and midsummer, I find it difficult to see beyond that season. So I wanted to reflect on that whilst also talking about the old barn. So this is the old barn. It is difficult now to remember the dark days stood here in the light of vaulted, ceaseless skies. Walls of freshly painted trees show off their swatched card greens. Dust-laden seeds create a carpet under our feet. Strange to think of times when the slate-roofed heavens drips endless dampness onto a cold stone floor. When wind grinds like stones, causes pointing to crack and fall, drives rain like shards of ancient window glass. Now the sun warms the emerald moss that decorates the mortar. Optimistic stems wave at the brightness. No thought given to the coming night. So that's the old barn. All three of these um, poems are going to be in my debut pamphlet collection that's due out in May by the wonderful Hedgehog Poetry Press. So keep an eye on that. I'm hoping that that's going to be... um, a really exciting time for me. It's going to be great to be able to share my poetry widely. But thank you for giving me this this opportunity to share it on this great platform, your podcast. And um, I'll speak to you soon. Bye. And now in between guests, I'm going to share three of my own poems about the sea. The first is a short poem called The Payment. The second is a triptych called Tides. And the third entitled House, Home and Harbour. The Payment. Concrete is no complement to the current. Curls come and crash without care. You cannot keep an ocean contained in a single cup. I hurl this wave with the weight of a thousand stones, she sighs, and slips back out as clouds come to commend. House. Home harbour. Spiral, spiral, sea, sea, sound, sound.
Snail shell, 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 cochlea. Calm, calm, current, current, cacophony, cacophony. Hollow to house, house, hollow to harbor, harbor, hollow to hear, to hear, to hear, slow. Slow sand, sand, sense, sense, snail, snail shell, sea shell, cochlea. A house, a house, a home, a home, a harbor, a harbor for the sound of everything. Tides. Breath has burly been beaten. Songs swim in across the shore. Fate is not a flight found on the floor. Taste takes time to be tested. We can only swallow so much. We can only turn so far from touch. We're a captor to the circle. We swim out to catch sight of ourselves from the far side of the waves. While never letting go of the truth. Of where we will dig our graves. My next guest on today's podcast shares my surname, though we are not related, and yet she was also born and educated in Dublin, but today she joins us from Canada. We met last year during lockdown while both responding to Catherine Ann Cullen's Twitter poetry prompts. This guest is a member of the Ontario Poetry Society and a founding member of the Brooklyn Poetry Society in Canada and has been widely published around the world in publications such as the Copperfield Review, Tales from the Forest, Beret Days Press, Red Claw Press and Black Bow Poetry. She has two poetry collections to her name entitled Recurrence of Blue and Moon Witch. Please welcome to the podcast, Teresa Donnelly. A big hello to you, Damien, and to all those tuning in. Thank you so much for this opportunity. It's a privilege to share this space with yourself and so many other talented poets. While I don't write poetry every day, I certainly read it on a daily basis. Poetry has been part of my life since forever. It began at a young age with reading The Stolen Child by W.B. Yeats, continued with the Romantic and Victorian poets, and my love of poetry, I'm happy to say, continues to this day. It has been the one constant in my life. I realise that poetry has created within me a place that I can just keep returning to, where, as poet Anne Sexton wrote, I can put my ear down close to my soul and listen hard. Poetry, like the other arts, I believe connects us to our humanity. Now more than ever, we need to be able to do exactly that. The first poem I'd like to read is titled Sister in the Mirror. It was written shortly after my sister came to visit as a beautiful but brittle Canadian winter sounded a retreat. She brought much joy and colour when she arrived from Dublin, smelling like a spring morning in Grafton Street. Her suitcase stuffed with laughter, memories, parcels of yesterday wrapped in today's tissue to be savoured tomorrow. Sister in the Mirror by Teresa Donnelly Robust flames reflected in the Ida Red, a glow worm burrowing its way to the core, to the very heart of things. The cafeteria overflowing 
with conversation not yet begun. On the island where waves of laughter will wash against cappuccino-stained maple. Outdoors, April showers launder a garden of 19 cedars, recently resurrected from coffins of dissolving ice. Returning geese fly beneath starched cloud. I hear her on the stairs, my early spring visitor. Best coffee cups awoken from slumbering boredom, revel in unanimous expression upon hearing footsteps in the hall. An apparition clad in billowing Thai silk sails towards the island with the vibrancy of exotic orange trumpet and yellow canna lily. We will burrow our way to the core, to the very heart of things. While time etches her reflection on my wall of Venetian glass. The next poem is called No White Flowers. I, along with my five siblings, grew up in what I describe as a theatrical household. My mother had done some acting before she married. My father was the managing director of two cinemas in Dublin city centre and the creator of the Saturday Night Variety Show. Show business was in their blood, which meant it was also in ours. The show must go on was a frequent remark heard in our household. Years later, after they had passed, as I stood in Glasnevin Cemetery on one of my trips home, those same words resonated in my head. No White Flowers by Teresa Donnelly I stand above you, unfamiliar with the jarring silence. I expect a vinyl pier gint dizzy itself on the turntable. In the hall of the mountain king, echoes of contention. The one o'clock radio news. Tuesdays and Thursdays, Kennedy's of Castle Ross. The sound of weeping into the black handset of a rotary dial telephone. The world you created together was passionately volatile. It would be mendacious to say otherwise. Yet it fed my blood grace and generosity. I carry the best of you both in a fountain pen with an endless reservoir of navy blue gratitude. I wish I'd bought the deepest shade of chrysanthemums. Sad for such a pretty flower to be so closely associated with loss. Should I sing a solemn hymn, bawl my eyes out, or belt out, there's no business like show business like no business. I know. I want to cover this dull clay in a brocaded carpet. One that will endure the elements for a hundred years. Remove that cold headstone. It doesn't do either of you justice. I want to drape from that sacred you a turquoise mandarin-coloured satin dress. Fishnet stockings from Madame Nora's. A brilliant brine nylon drip-dry shirt. A silver-grey mohair two-piece suit. They will better memorialise you and your lovely bones. It's hauntingly romantic to think of you lying amongst 
poets, playwrights, patriots and rebels, all those who slumber in this garden on a blue afternoon of silence and dust. For my final poem, I'd like to change style and direction. Paradise Found was published in the Copperfield Review. The inspiration for it came after a visit to the Keats Shelley House, which, as many know, is now a museum beside the Spanish Steps in Piazza de España, Roma. It's my version of a poem written in the style of the Romantics. Paradise Found by Teresa Donnelly. The house stood upon a hill as tall as Van Gogh's Montmartre windmill. Bounded by Wordsworth's daffodils, I knew my quest it would fulfil in seeking paradise. I knocked upon the timbered door. A set of footsteps crossed the floor. My soul, it sprang from centre core. Paradise was waiting. Keats opened with a welcome grin, his face handsomely gaunt and thin. I reached out and touched his skin as he bid me enter in. Sweet, sweet paradise. Ushered to the cellar stair, descending with the utmost care, by a silver stream I found a chair on which sat the poet Delamere. We chatted under bough of tree, where fruit hung bright and silvery. Before the stream ran to the sea, I bid farewell so effortlessly. Up in the corridor I spun, when I heard the voice of Tennyson. Poems filled the library one on one. He spoke of the shield of Lancelot, Elaine, Lily Maid of Astolat, and the Lady of Shalott. Upon entering, I disturbed him not. I wept upon hearing his eloquent voice. If truth be told, I had little choice. How could I but not rejoice? The music of Johann Strauss filled the halls throughout the house. So too the paintings of John Waterhouse, women of Arthurian mythology, each one nothing short of poetry. Magnificent and womanly, I did not but stand and stare at those vibrant creatures there, Juliet and the Lady Clare, and Ophelia with the golden hair. The conservatory Venetian tiled was where I heard Yeats recite to Wilde a favourite poem, The Stolen Child. Then from a notebook leather bound, Oscar read quotes, both amusing and profound. I climbed up to the utmost floor, saw an August moon caress the shore, while counting brilliant stars I swore, there to stay forevermore, perpetual paradise. Thank you once again, Damien. I wish you continued success with the podcast and with your latest publication. And to everyone out there, thank you for journeying with me and have yourselves a grand day and stay creative. Bye now. Our next guest on the show joins us from Scotland, although over Christmas he was trapped in England, or what he calls that dark place, along with a bout of Covid. Thankfully, he is now recovering back up in Gardenstown in the light of the North and musically, he is currently working on a new heavy duty vinyl album that will hopefully be out in 2020 with his group Innocence Abroad. But more on that later. His poetry collections include Kerr, The Waiting Hillside, The Unreturning and the recent Lark Song Static selected poems from the Hedgehog Poetry Press. Please welcome to the show Martin Malone.
Hello, Damien, and thank you for having me on your podcast. I'll read you um, three little poems that I suppose are linked uh, today by the theme of fatherhood. They're all from my uh, new Hedgehog Press collection, which is a selected poems, 2005 to 2020, called Larks on Static. My name's Martin Malone. Um, I was born and grew up in the northeast of England to a Liverpool Irish father. Spent more time actually living over in Liverpool, but now live up in the north of Scotland in a beautiful Banffshire coastal village called Gardenstown. I'm currently um, trapped down here in England, or the dark places I like to know it, because of uh, COVID travel restrictions. And I'm just actually recovering from a bout of Christmas COVID, which Santa delivered me. So I'm going to start with um, this poem first, which is Digitalis. Between his first and third heart attack, passed my father's summer of love. An unknown younger man came back. My earring was no longer mocked, nor the tattoo of an arrowed dove between his first and third heart attack. A sudden awareness of hip-hop and rap, a shuffling of beat groups with dub as an unknown younger man came back. I'd come across him trying on hats and found him once weeping at foxgloves between his first and third heart attack. Aware that given time is not given back, he started bending lifelong rules enough to let me see the younger man come back. Dad was Dylan, McCartney, Jack Kerouac, in that last fond summer of love, between his first and third heart attack, when an unknown younger man came back. So that, if you hadn't spotted it, was a, a wee villanelle. <clears throat> um, as a writer, I, I don't go in for the kind of modern, big modern thing of identity, um, which I think is a slightly overplayed hand in culture generally at the moment. But nonetheless, we do have our identity issues and, and workings through. Uh, so I thought I'd, I'd read this one. This was, this was actually kindly included in... A, uh, in a book called The Naked Irish, actually, um, Understanding a Nation Through Its Clichés, which was published last year. And I suppose it's me working through some of the uh, switchback issues and contradictions of, of, of my particular identity. This is a poem called Liverpool Irish. My father endured the taunts of Tick from a man called Keenan and bore the nickname Paddy uneasily yet would stiffen to the reel and set his jaw for the camera. He would laugh at the peerhead Irish, gazing out beyond the river's foggy mouth to a neglectful motherland, through eyes distant in drink and false memory, doing his maths on the round, and neatly balancing its cost against that to rebuy the family farm. Yet he was in clover to hear his name in the Irish rover and talked of cousins in Wicklow with the requisite exile's glow. This Celtic mestizo thing is awkward, fit to be called diaspora, commodified in song, yet welcome back but slowly when we've stayed away too long. History's tenant cousins, twice removed. I was once suspect enough for passport stamps, mon droit, and my name to keep me all day in Hollyhead for routine questions. Though my accent's enough still to Cromwell our pitch in some Gaeltocht pub in Ballina Hinch. So I'll finish with uh, another fatherhood poem, but one with, from the perspective of me being the father. Uh, this poem's title entitled after an album I recorded back at the end of the 90s, um, and it's called The Training for Loneliness. Until it was you, my son, your father's best work was that night in Manhattan, alone in a midtown hotel, but for the barman from Roscommon, explaining to me the finer points of hurling while I waited for the hour to come and go when we'd meet for that drink, look one another in the eye and head our separate ways. No sane woman would cross the pond to drink to an also-ran, so I knew she wouldn't show, but the point was that I had, 
and there began my draft of you. As the moment passed, I swear that's life lit up the jukebox right on cue, as if it knew a fool's errand was over. Fionn asked why I was laughing as I drained my glass of powers. When I told him, he poured me another, and we got to talking as fellas sometimes do, about loneliness and home, and the great American songbook of lost love that crops up at a time like this. Your father, as a younger man, trying to write the poem that will become you, and is you, and will go on when this song is well sung. Thanks for having me on your blog, Damien. Of course, we can't let Martin go without a little taster of The Innocence Abroad. So here with a little instrumental teaser from the new album is Innocence Abroad and Late Spring. I'm now going to share with you a short poem that I wrote a few years ago based on a poetry prompt on WordPress by fellow poet Jane Doherty. The first of two poems that I'm going to share with you today that were inspired by Jane Doherty's prompts. This prompt was very simple. A single stanza, five lines, ten syllables in each line, and the last word of each line holds the rhyme throughout. This poem is called Beauty Blazing. I lay me down neath the constellation as my soul seeks shade from observation. This sky full of stars, my sweet salvation, though tumbling towards obliteration, how beauty blazes before creation. Our last guest on today's show is the first plant scientist on the podcast that I know of. She spent most of her life trying to make sense of the world through plants. Thankfully for us poetry lovers, she is also the author of Mock Orange, the prize-winning poetry collection published last year from SMP Publications. Heidi Williamson wrote of this collection that the author combines playful intelligence with a scientist's eye for precision in language and image. So please, sit back and relax in the inquisitive company of Anne Osborne. Hello, my name's Anne Osborne. I'm a plant scientist based in Norwich, and I'm also a poet. And I'm going to read you a few poems from my first poetry book called Mock Orange, which was published last September by SPM Publications, and it was the third prize winner in the Sentinel Poetry Book Prize 2018. This poem explores how I came to be a scientist um, and all things to do with plants, 
including the great plant classification man Linnaeus. This first poem is called On Bailden Moor. With my father on the moor, I'm conjuring a snowstorm. The first white flakes stroke my face as we walk across the druid plain just below De Brudden. The sky grey glass is humming a blizzard dance. Faster and faster the crystals sting. Down there the village vanishes, paths snuffed out by snow. The moor is going to sleep now. Cotton grass, larks, gainer on horseback, the celandines by the stream, etched, smothered, gone. My moment of sorcery begins to burn, cannot turn us back to thickets of snow-free bracken, bobtails in the quarry, ancient writing on stone. There are snowflakes on my eyelashes. I hold my father's hand, grip the wool of his black overcoat, long to be carried home. He clasps my mittened fingers. Together we run down the slopes, the snow ankle-high, until breathless we reach the Blackstone Bridge as the whiteout takes hold. This next poem uh, was inspired by Caroline Duffy's collection, The World's Wife. It's called Mrs Linnaeus. Mrs Linnaeus. It was late September. I just put the little one to bed when he comes back from his Arctic trip, stinking of reindeer shit, blowing that damn bugle like there was no tomorrow. He throws his kit bag down on the table, puts his feet up, Starts telling me stories of Jamotus, Quickjock, Sorcerer, the Lap who tried to drink seawater. Oh, how they laughed. I used to love those days in the summer when he would take me through the north gates, so to speak, and out into the meadows, feed me mead made from mountain honey. Now he's become a pain in the arse, sends his students off round the world collecting cocoa, banana, cassava, thinks they'll grow here. Sweden, imagine it, thinks he'll save us all from starvation. I didn't have the heart to tell him about Darwinian adaptation. Half of his students have died of tropical diseases or sunk with ships, including that poor boy Tilland, and I'm the one that the wives come to when they want to vent. The house is full of dead plants, insects, ants from exotic places, remnants of reindeer dung. The next poem is about my father when he was much older, in his 90s, and he decided to go on the internet. It's called Blue Flash. Blue Flash. My father has decided to go on the internet. BT has an offer on. It closes in May. But what about my money? Oh dear, oh bloody hell. Why am I going on the internet? Because it's a big encyclopedia, Dad. You can find out anything, and you don't have to do internet banking. He nods, says slowly, I think what I need is a Kit Kat. The man from BT didn't install the router, just left it. Oh bloody hell, said Dad when I called in. How long can it sit there? What's going to happen? Oh dear, oh bloody hell. Internet installation is beyond my capability. I call Malcolm. Malcolm knows how to do these things. Malcolm and his wife are in the process of adopting. Malcolm can't come round until Thursday. I go to the village shop, buy Kit Kats, enough to tide him over. Malcolm has been and gone. I call in on my way home. I should never have gone on this damn thing. My mother shouts from the kitchen, brings coffee, places the mugs on mats in Dad's room. I want to come off the internet. Why, Dad? It doesn't work. What doesn't work? I can't find you. What do you mean you can't find me? Malcolm found you. I show him how to Google type in my name. Why are there so many of you? I'm quite busy, Dad. We sit and have a Kit Kat with our coffee in the front room. Mum sits in her chair by the window. 
The nice young woman across the road has had an anonymous letter again, complaining about the state of her dustbins and the gravel on the pavement that apparently damages dogs' paws. My mother thinks it's the one from the WI, the one with the purple coat and the dog. The phone rings. It's my sister. Dad and I go to the back room. His tall boy with his important papers, his dressing table, brush, comb, pipe in the top right drawer, dental fixative in the left, the wardrobe with his canvas rucksack on top, the holiday suitcases and the four nearly finished Guardian quick crossword books that I bought because Mother won't let him do the ones in the paper. Once when I was helping him set up his new digital camera, we sat on the bed and took our photo a photograph of ourselves in the dressing table mirror. Can we find my sister? We find her. She is busy too. I call in again on my way home. It doesn't work. What doesn't work? I can't find it. What? The place. The place that we held. The tributary. The Alter Rhine. The Germans were on the other side. Tom, the newsagent, found it when we lived in Eldwick. I install Google Earth. First we find the bungalow. Then we swoop along the Rhine and try to find the tributary. It was too difficult. Oh, bloody hell. We have a Kit Kat sitting on the bed. My father starts, forgetting his stick, that fucking stick, my sister calls it. He goes to the spare room, comes back with Blue Flash, the story of an armoured regiment. He looks up the place name, the nearest village. We type it into Google Earth, sweep in, and there, just to the east, the tributary flows into the Rhine. My father wants to go in further, magnify the V of the promontory. Here it is. He points at a tiny white building. That's the farmhouse that the infantry held. The Rhine flows fast there, in places faster than the top speed of the water buffaloes. Trees slide forwards. The 4th Battalion Royal Tank Regiment will slip under the willows in the dead of night. We are now coming to the end of today's show, so it's time to leave you with one final poem. And today I'm going to leave you with a love poem of sorts as we are coming very close to Valentine's Day. And as I'm about to announce after I read this poem, we have a very special episode coming up next week to celebrate it. As we've already had two villanelles on this show this week, I have decided to take another classic form of poetry and read a gazelle. This particular poem is called Dawn and I wrote it back in 2016 as a response to a poetry challenge on WordPress from our very beloved Jane Doherty. I was at the airport in Paris waiting to fly back to Dublin and I was trying my best to complete the poem and I did which I thought was an absolutely fantastic job. So I posted it, hopped onto the plane and got off in Dublin to a lovely message from Jane saying thanks very much for the poem but it wasn't a gazelle. So I stayed up till 4am that morning and reworked it and this is what I managed to do and I hope I've come close. This poem tells the story of two lovers basically begging Urshas, the Hindu goddess of dawn, to ask the knight to stay a little longer so their hold would not have to let go. I saw her lean into the light, saw Urshas try to still the night. Though she art dawn, for two she slew, a sorrowed sigh to still the night. For fell thee fair, thou rarest gift, a kiss come by to still the night. Yet we no more than passing ships must beg or buy to still the night. But time born but to bitter brood, would not comply to still the night. So rise, dear dawn, adieu, sweet love, I make to die, to still the night. <laughs>
Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, men and women, non-conformers and non-believers, gender X and gender equals. That is the end of another episode of Eat the Storms Poetry Podcast. A huge thank you to today's guests, Nathaniel O'Reilly, Elizabeth Kelly, Teresa Donnelly, Martin Malone and Anne Osborne. As usual, for details and links for all our guests, please go to www.eatthestorms.com and click positively on the podcast section. And as always, a huge thank you to you, our listeners, for tuning in. Next week, our episode drops on the eve of Valentine Kisses, so we will be celebrating or commiserating together with a poetic chocolate box of songs and stories from familiar poets to new singing voices on the show. So whether it's with freshly handed over roses, lounging in petals on beds or baths, or in solitary romper suits on solo sofas that are equally sensational, please come and join us for what we hope will be another memorable moment to share together here on the poetry podcast that likes you very much just as you are. If you fancy giving me tips or tricks or the names of fellow poets who you'd like to see come and join this bloody poetic madness here at Eat the Storms, or if you just want to send me Valentine kisses, then please drop me an email at eatthestorms at yahoo.com. Okay, that's it for another episode. So from me, Damien B. Donnelly, be good, be well, be giving of the light and be wrapped in as much love as possible. And as always... Stay bloody poetic!